Good evening. Federal charges in the shooting death by police of Breonna Taylor. Brittany Griner is sentenced in Russia. What the abortion vote in Kansas means for the midterms. An exclusive interview with Representative Mondaire Jones and racism at the theme parks. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the News in Exile for Thursday, August 4th, 2022. A Texas jury ordered talk show host Alex Jones, known for his over-the-top conspiracy theories, to pay more than $4 million in damages to the parents of a six-year-old boy killed in the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre. It's the first time the InfoWars host has been held financially liable for claiming the deadliest school shooting in U.S. history was a hoax. The parents had sought about $150 million in compensation for defamation and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Jones's attorney had asked for $8, and Jones said he would be broken by any judgment over $2 million. More bad news might be coming for Jones. A Connecticut judge has ruled against him in a similar lawsuit brought by other victims' families and an FBI agent who worked on the case. In an unusual coda to the story, a cache of Jones's text messages were sent to defense attorneys apparently in error by Jones's own lawyer. The defense got the entire contents of his cell phone for the past two years. Jones is also under scrutiny by the House January 6th committee, who may subpoena the families for the text messages in their investigation of the January 6, 2020 riot at the U.S. Capitol. And Attorney General Merrick Garland said Breonna Taylor should be alive today as he announced federal charges against four Louisville police officers over the drug raid that led to her death. Earlier today, I spoke with the family of Breonna Taylor. This morning, they were informed that the Justice Department has charged four current and former Louisville Metro Police Department officers with federal crimes related to Ms. Taylor's death. Those alleged crimes include civil rights offenses, unlawful conspiracies, unconstitutional use of force, and obstruction offenses. The four defendants were charged through two separate indictments and one information. I'm going to begin today by discussing the civil rights offenses that stem from the falsification of a search warrant. We allege that these offenses resulted in Ms. Taylor's death. Breonna Taylor was shot to death in a botched drug raid. Her death helped fuel the racial justice protests that rocked the nation in 2020. The charges mostly stem from the faulty drug warrant used to search Taylor's home. Garland said the cops who made out the warrant falsified information and the cops who busted down Taylor's door had no idea. Members of the Place-Based Investigations Unit falsified the affidavit used to obtain the search warrant of Ms. Taylor's home, that this act violated federal civil rights laws, and that those violations resulted in Ms. Taylor's death. Specifically, we allege that Ms. Taylor's Fourth Amendment rights were violated when defendants Joshua Jaynes, Kyle Meany, and Kelly Goodlett sought a warrant to search Ms. Taylor's home knowing that the officers lacked probable cause for the search. We allege that the defendants knew the affidavit in support of that warrant contained false and misleading information and that it omitted material information. Among other things, the affidavit falsely claimed that officers had verified that the target of the alleged drug trafficking operation had received packages at Ms. Taylor's address. In fact, defendants Jaynes and Goodlett knew that was not true. The search was based on a no-knock warrant. Those types of warrants used in drug investigations to attempt to prevent the destruction of evidence were later banned in the city of Louisville. And basketball star Brittany Griner was convicted Thursday in Russia of drug possession and smuggling and was sentenced to nine years behind bars. The case could lead to a high-stakes prisoner exchange between Washington and Moscow. 
The 31-year-old Griner is a two-time U.S. Olympic champion and eight-time All-Star with the WNBA's Phoenix Mercury. President Joe Biden denounced the sentence as unacceptable. Later, White House press spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre agreed. So today's sentencing is a reminder of what the world already knew. Russia is wrongfully detaining Brittany. She never should have had to endure a trial in the first place. We have repeatedly called for Russia to release her immediately so she can be with her wife, loved ones, friends, and teammates. Under President Biden's direction, the U.S. government continues to work aggressively, pursuing every avenue to bring home Brittany, Paul Whelan, and every American held hostage and wrongfully detained around the world. As you all know, we have made a substantial offer to bring her and Paul Whelan home. We urge Russia to accept that proposal. I'm not able to share more publicly at this time, but we are willing to take every step necessary to bring home our people as we demonstrated with Trevor Reed. And that's what we're going to do here. I can assure you, this is something the president and our national security team are focused on every single day. The president receives regular updates about the status of our negotiations to secure Brittany's release, as well as the release of Paul Whelan and other U.S. nationals who are wrongfully detained or held hostage in Russia and around the world. So we will continue, or we'll, we'll continue to, to focus on getting our U.S. nationals um, home. Greiner, recognized as one of the greatest players in WNBA history, has been detained since February 17th after police said they found vape cartridges containing cannabis oil in her luggage upon landing in Moscow's airport. She was returning to Russia, where she had competed since 2014. The editor-in-chief of the cannabis-friendly website, CelebStoner.com, is Steve Bloom. He says Greiner made a mistake taking pot to Russia, but small-scale salaries offered to women players is part of the problem. Brittany Griner is a political pawn in an international game, and she's caught in the middle of it, and it's too bad she brought weed with her into Russia. You know, they might have even set her up, but I guess not, because they, you know, tried every other defense, and they didn't try that one. They claimed that she was a medical marijuana user. I didn't think that was going to go very far. She claimed that she forgot and left it in her bag. I didn't think that was going to go very far. I don't think it was a very good defense, but no matter what the defense was, they were going to find her guilty, and they are going to, you know, charge her, you know, they were going to give her you know, a, a long sentence. So now they can move ahead with the swap that they're planning on doing. They can get more out of the U.S. Do you know much about pot laws in Russia? It's illegal. <laughs> I mean, it's majorly illegal. Yes, it's very illegal. You know, I mean, our laws are are not as bad as their laws. It's a lot of people are comparing a why is Brittany getting the special treatment when a lot of people are in jail here. You know, it's a totally different case. It's not it's apples and oranges as far as Yes, she had cannabis and she got arrested over there, and people are in jail over here, but they're two different situations. You can't even compare the two. You know, she's a political pawn. She's a black woman. She's a gay woman. She's taller than anybody in the courtroom. She looks different than everybody else, and she's a great – she dropped it right in Russia's lap, right at the right time. You're also a sports aficionado. Uh, marijuana and sports is one of your favorite things to write about. From that aspect, what are the sports heroes who go to Russia to, as she was doing off season, right? What was her reason to be in Russia in the first place? 
she's underpaid. The WNBA players don't get paid. You know, they get paid $200,000 a year maybe compared to, you know, LeBron James getting $40 million a season. So I'm not saying he shouldn't get a lot, but they get so little by comparison. And then they go and play, you know, like a lot of American athletes go over to Europe and other countries when they can't get a, a job here. You know, a lot of athletes have been playing over in Europe and Asia for years. We didn't know how many players were playing in Russia, but I, looked, I just looked it up. There were about 60 players in the WNBA who were playing all around the world during the offseason because they need more money. What do you think is the answer to this? Well, they're going to have to do the swap. I'm not crazy about swapping, you know, arms dealers and terrorists for people like Brittany, but otherwise she's going to sit there in, a, in purgatory you know, for nine years, and we just can't let that happen. Steve Bloom is editor-in-chief of the cannabis-friendly website, CelebStoner.com. In national news, Democrats were newly optimistic about the election year political climate after voters in traditionally conservative Kansas overwhelmingly backed a measure protecting abortion rights. President Biden hailed the vote in Kansas as the direct result of outrage at the Supreme Court's decision in June to repeal Roe v. Wade. The abortion access reporter for The Nation is Amy Littlefield. She says Kansas is on fire with promise of stopping the anti-choice juggernaut. Kansas has plenty of progressive events in its history, <laughs> you know, John Brown being one notable example, and the rise of the Populist Party, of course, many, many years ago. But it also has a reputation, of course, as a conservative state. What happened there is that an anti-abortion amendment that was on the ballot and that, frankly, was expected to pass, partly because of the timing, this is August, it was a primary election, there were more exciting Republican races on the ballot, and so turnout was expected to be low and slanted Republican. And this was something that the, the Kansas legislature had done intentionally in order to try to get this amendment through. The amendment was expected to pass, and then it started to look like maybe it would be a close call. The abortion rights groups on the ground that I spoke with who, who mounted a huge grassroots effort to try to block this amendment were starting to feel cautiously optimistic in the days leading up to the vote. And then in a stunning turn of events, they pulled off a landslide and the abortion rights position voted down this amendment. It looks like about 60 percent, 58 percent of voters said no. There were resounding results defeating this amendment across areas that are quite conservative. It was a referendum really on the question of whether Kansas wanted to see a total ban on abortion or not. But it was difficult to for the, the no side, the abortion rights side, to, to kind of get the message through that that's what it was because it was very confusingly worded. And uh, the people on the yes side were saying we're trying to convince people that that might not be the goal, that it was about something else, that it was about more attenuated restrictions or reasonable restrictions, whatever they consider that to be on abortion. It was a real challenge, the no side, to kind of define that for voters. Well, exactly forcing you, is that part of it? I mean, forcing you to vote no in order to keep expanded rights is meant to confuse. Right. It's very confusing. And the, the language of the amendment itself was very confusing. I shadowed mm -hmm. some canvassers this past Sunday. I was in Wichita, Kansas, which is a city with an incredibly violent and troubled history on the abortion issue. This is where that doctor was murdered. This is where Dr. George Tiller was assassinated in his church while he was attending services. Tiller, who is one of a few providers 
in the country who was willing to provide abortions later in pregnancy for people who had diagnosis of terrible medical complications or needed a pregnancy termination later in pregnancy. The anti-abortion groups firebombed his clinic. He was shot non-fatally before he was killed in the Summer of Mercy, which was this huge anti-abortion, you know, described as like a Woodstock style event, stadium size gathering, thousands of arrests of people blockading abortion clinics in the city. And that event really sort of energized anti-abortion activists who were then encouraged to run for local office. And over time, that influx, that massive influx in the Summer of Mercy pulled the Republican Party further and further to the right, not just on the abortion issue, but on a whole host of economic and policy issues. Abortion is at the heart of this question of how states like Kansas got so conservative over time. Is there the possibility of a backlash from people who have no commitment to democracy anyway? Oh, of course. And that backlash has always, always been there. And I visited Tiller's clinic, former clinic, earlier this week. They have threat packets next to every phone. You have to go through an extensive security process. Um, and, and there are guards stationed at the door and cameras everywhere. And staff live with the understanding that there's someone outside writing down their license plate numbers and carefully tracking who goes in and out. And this is every day for them. Yes, that backlash is going to be there no matter what, because anti-abortion extremists are intent on eliminating this right entirely. Could that ramp up? It's a calculated risk that people are taking to even participate in this work or to exercise that right to begin with. Amy Littlefield is abortion access reporter for The Nation. We'll be getting exclusive congressional reaction later in the newscast. In news closer to home. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is backing Representative Mondaire Jones in his bid to represent a newly drawn 10th Congressional District that snaked from the west side of Manhattan through the East Village and into Brooklyn. Pelosi said in a press release this week, Mondaire Jones has gotten real results for New Yorkers. The first-term House member, who currently represents suburban New York, faces a crowded field of contenders, including Trump impeachment lawyer Daniel Goldman, Assemblywoman Yuli Niu, Councilwoman Carlina Rivera, Assemblywoman Joanne Simon, and former Congresswoman Liz Holtzman. Jones also has the endorsement of Senator Cory Booker and Representative Jamie Raskin. Jones is also the first openly gay member elected to Congress. He spoke with WBAI, expressing his knowledge of local politics by taking a swipe at the deeply unpopular East Side Resiliency Project touted by Rivera, but responsible for removing much-needed parkland from the community. Now, when I speak to folks in the Lower East Side, they are furious at their city council member, Carlina Rivera, for uh, breaking her promise to them that, that there would be community input when it comes to the Lower East Side Coastal Resiliency Project. Uh, it's why they've been protesting outside of every forum and debate we've been having over the past month and a half or so. Uh, and, you know, this is, this is where representation matters. This is where Democratic primaries matter. It's not enough just to elect any Democrat. I mean, there's another guy in this race who is self-funding and who's come out in support of abortion restrictions. Uh, That person is Dan Goldman. There are real differences between the candidates in this primary. And just looking at Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema over the past year and a half, I don't see how anyone could say that it doesn't make a difference which Democrat you choose in these primaries. I've got a track record of being a progressive champion in Congress who actually delivers results for folks in New York City and New York State writ large. And that is nothing that any of my colleagues could say. I'm proud to have local endorsements like Grand Street Democrats, as well as labor like RWDSU, National Nurses United, 
and the uniformed firefighters officers uh, and another labor endorsement that we're going to be announcing in the coming days to say nothing in national groups like the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So does that mean that you um, would use your power in Congress possibly to slow down or change the scope of the project that's going on that's so controversial? I think we've got to have community input. We've got to have community input. Uh, there are a lot of concerns about the way the process went down, broken promises. Uh, obviously, I'm a staunch supporter of being climate resilient. That is going to save lives. But we can do it in a way that is humane and that preserves the social life of people in the Lower East Side, including, by the way, a lot of low-income black and brown people who deserve to have a park in the way that, that other communities throughout the city have. Currently a suburban New York representative, Jones also slammed the process that drew the wandering 10th CD. This redistricting in New York State has been quite a fiasco. Uh, you've got two of my colleagues running against each other in a primary, as you know, up in, in New York's 12th district, Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler. Uh, my district was torn apart in the 17th, and I had a choice of either running against Jamal Bowman or Sean Patrick Maloney. Uh, either of those situations would have been terrible for our country, for the Democratic Party, and for our democracy as we try to defeat fascism in America. And so what I decided to do was to run to represent the birthplace of the LGBTQ rights movement. Stonewall is in this district. Uh, it's a district that's given a lot to me. It's a district that helped me to come out as the openly gay man that I am today. It's a district that I have worked in and whose communities I've been fighting for when you look at the work I've been doing in Congress, from the billions of dollars for infrastructure, healthcare, housing, uh, and, and, and schooling, uh, and of course, uh, making sure that I am at the forefront of the fight to end gun violence in America to the point where Tucker Carlson has been attacking me on his show. These and so many things I've been fighting for, and I think that the people of this district are recognizing that, and we are so close to August 23rd, and yet so far away, three weeks is a lifetime in politics, as you know. While Jones says he rarely mentions his status as a gay member of Congress, he's proud of the achievement. To have made history as the first openly gay black member of Congress uh, when I was sworn in in January of 2021, uh, is is something that I take very seriously. I don't uh, talk about it often, but it is not lost on me that other people are drawing inspiration from it. It's the kind of inspiration that, candidly, I didn't have growing up because I didn't have that kind of representation in my own uh, in my own life. And and it's been it's been also a testament to how much progress this country has made. And yet we see much of that progress at risk of being rolled back. Uh, it's why Jerry Nadler and I just introduced legislation a few weeks ago called the Respect for Marriage Act, which thankfully we passed through the House, and it's got a good shot at passing through the Senate to codify marriage equality, knowing that the Supreme Court is next going to, uh, to, to assault that fundamental freedom that it recognized only less than a decade ago. Jones, who experienced the Trump-provoked assault on Congress on January 6, 2021, was unequivocal. He says Trump must be indicted. Our democracy is in crisis. If there was any doubt about that, just look at the fact that hours after nearly dying alongside me at the Capitol on January 6th, two-thirds of my House Republican colleagues voted not to certify that free and fair presidential election from 2020. Uh, what happened was an attempted coup. It was an attempted overthrow of the federal government that we are becoming increasingly aware through these January 6th hearings 
was so close to being effective, but for a few events that went differently uh, from how Donald Trump and his allies wanted them to go. And it's why we are working so hard to pass my legislation, uh, you know, legislation I co-authored called the Freedom to Vote John R. Lewis Act, which would restore our democracy and protect the fundamental right to vote. And another bill that would uh, is that would also help to attack this issue of election subversion, where people are running across this country, Secretary of State, Secretaries of State candidates and the like on the Republican side, saying they're not going to certify elections. We cannot have that in a democracy. That is at odds with the very concept of a democracy. So we've got to fight hard to make sure that we don't have another January 6th. So that also means making sure we keep Donald Trump out of office. Indict him? Indict him. Yes, and prosecute sir. him to the fullest extent of the law. That is something that Merrick Garland should have done by now. And like most pro-choice Democrats, Jones says he was pleased by the outcome of the vote in Kansas this week that protected the right to choose in that state. Kansas is an example of how popular democratic policies like the right to an abortion are in this country. We, of course, need better messengers in many parts of this country, but to see the great people of Kansas in a deeply red state come out and reject uh, an attempt to take away their basic rights to reproductive health care in a resounding way, I think speaks to what is possible in November if we galvanize people effectively around protecting basic rights, basic freedoms, including democracy itself. Representative Mondaire Jones, the Democratic primary is August 23rd. And finally, a Baltimore law firm has filed a class action lawsuit against Sesame Place for $25 million in the aftermath of the now viral video of two little black girls being ignored by a costumed amusement park employee. Meanwhile, at Jay-Z's Rock Nation Social Justice Summit in New York City, with the two girls, Nyla and Skyla, and their family present, civil rights attorney Ben Crump said he was disgusted. My Angelou said, she said that people will often forget what you say, people will often forget what you do, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And for Ms. Brown's daughter and niece, you saw the video, you look in their eyes when Rosette just ignores them as if they are invisible as if they're insignificant, not worthy of consideration and attention. And it's such a difficult thing for Ms. Brown and her family to have to explain to her six-year-old daughter and six-year-old niece about racism. It's not fair. It is not right, SeaWorld. It is not right, Sesame Place. And you can best believe Ms. Brown, Attorney Lamar, will always remember how they made her feel on that day when they ignored her beautiful black princesses. Crumb said he had numerous other videos that showed characters snubbing kids of color. Crump said he had numerous other videos that showed characters snubbing kids of color.
In related news, at a protest Saturday at a Sesame Place in Middletown Township, New Jersey, two black activists, including Shaka Zulu of the Newark-based New Black Panther Party, were arrested when they showed up at a protest at the SeaWorld-owned theme park. Zulu and Associate Captain Africa described the incident and why they were there for WBAI News in exile. All power to the people. We felt that it was a need for black voices to speak up for black babies. One of the critical elements speaking up for black babies was visiting the place where they were emotionally and spiritually, they were assaulted from a racial perspective. And so we wanted to go down there to stand in solidarity with the families. When we got down there, comrades, immediately, as soon as I picked up the bullhorn, they pounced upon me. They put me in handcuffs. They threw me in the back of the paddy wagon and sent me to a police precinct. But here's the thing. All of that come with revolution. I expect repressive authoritarian manner. Uh, what, I, what I don't expect is a violation of our so-called constitutional rights. And that's what the pigs did down there. We're going to hold them accountable to that. All power to the people. And Mr. Africa, your uh, your experience. We do not believe our babies should be going in such a place anyway. Those people don't care about us. They don't love us. They don't care about our children. And we have enough evidence of that already. We are advocating for people to stop going and spending their money in these institutions and build their own institutions, their own dual contending powers. As we speak now, the new African Black Panther Party in North, we have our own programs that we fund. We poor. We live in these communities. But we are out here right now. And I'm outside. We have a camp that we've been doing for 15 years. Every summer we have a camp with young men from 9 in the morning to about 2 o'clock where they do training, basketball, do political events. Yesterday they went out and they gave out food to the community members that could not afford to eat. We have that every Wednesday, like two Wednesdays a month. You need to start supporting your community. Start building institutions in your community to support your people. Stop going to these institutions that don't care about us. You work all day, slave on these plantations to make this money, and then you take it to people that show you they don't have no love for you. It makes no sense to us. I just wanted to piggyback off what Captain Africa said in terms of building base areas of social, cultural, and political power. I think when we went down there, Conrad Paul, that was an extension of Panther philosophy being shown. We need brothers and sisters in these oppressed communities to stand up to stand in solidarity with the new African Black Panther Party. These incidents around the country where young kids are being discriminated against or racialized and oppressed need to be pushed back against. And the New African Black Panther Party see itself not as a protest organization, not as emotional, getting you riled up kind of organization, but as an organization that will empower the masses to look within themselves, to unleash that dormant capacity of being an agent of change. That's what we're all about. And that's why we went down there, comrade. And you didn't get charged in the end? They dropped all the charges? I just got a summons in the mail where... They're asking me to pay $600 for a fine and or to test the citations. For what? Exactly. $600 for disorderly conduct? That's highway robbery. Exactly. They said that I used abusive language and disorderly conduct behavior. So they charged me $600 for that. Can you imagine, comrade, 
that I would ever pay something like that. No. <laughs> Shaka Zulu and Captain Africa. Zulu was one of the two men arrested outside Sesame Place in Middletown Township, New Jersey, over the weekend. And that's some of the news in exile for Thursday, August 4th, 2022. The news is written, produced, and engineered by Paul DiRienzo. To learn more, check out the website, pauldirienzo.com.